What is baseball? Is it just a game? Is it life? Or is it a crumb of insignificance tumbling off of a loaf of greater insignificance that is just our universe? We'll explore all those things. And if the Phillies are a really weird team this year, because they are, they're kind of weird, right? All those things and more, because that's what we do here on the Phillies Nation Podcast, Episode 5. Phillies Nation. Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, episode number five. My name is Tim Malcolm, the editorial director of philliesnation.com. The Phillies are nine and nine, huh? Nine and nine. We're sailing smooth on the good ship Phil right now. The podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and YouTube at youtube.com slash philliesnation. Go to philliesnation.com for all of your news, information, rumors, opinion, good stuff. Facebook.com slash philliesnation. Twitter, at philliesnation. You should follow us on Twitter. We're always having a lot of fun during the games. And Instagram, at philliesnation underscore. Underscore, very important to put after the Phillies Nation part on Instagram. So yeah, the Phillies are 9-9, nine and nine, aren't they? How about that? That's pretty cool. It's great. And... Um, it was a good week. They started the week at a five and eight mark, or four and eight, that is, and then they beat the Mets two out of three, and then they swept the Braves. Cool. So we'll talk about all of that today on the podcast. Real quick, our guest today is Greg Murphy, or Murph, as you may know him. He's the guy who is all over the place at Citizens Bank Park and visiting parks on your broadcast, Tom McCarthy. And John Cruck and Ben Davis usually move it over to him. And he'll talk to us about being a field reporter and also growing up as a Phillies fan, as we always do in our interviews. And he's going to talk also about sort of that transition from field reporting to play-by-play. He's done some play-by-play recently. And I thought he's actually done a really nice job, especially this spring. He did a really good job. And we talked about that a little bit and how underrated uh, Tom McCarthy is. And I honestly believe that Tom McCarthy is a very unrelated, uh, excuse me, unrelated, underrated broadcaster. He does a really good job out there. It's a very hard job, and he does a good job of it. So the Phillies are 9-9. Nine and nine, And, you know, what are they doing? Are they good? Are they bad? Are they weird? That's kind of what I'm thinking about right now. I don't know. I think they're somewhere in the middle, maybe worse than we think. Because... We were all talking after Sunday's game. They hit the three consecutive home runs, and that was really great. But everybody was talking about how their run differential is at seven over right now. I think they've scored, what is it, 85 runs, and they've given up 78. So they have a plus seven. And we kind of need to remember that the Phillies did win a game 17-3 to earlier this year. They did lose to the Mets by a pretty decent margin, too, so it sort of washes out, but it sort of doesn't. They beat the Braves in a sweep, but they also were all one-run games, and they were very tight. Well, okay, Sunday wasn't a one-run game. It was it was actually tighter than you think. I mean, it was tight up until the eighth inning, and then the Phillies broke out with these three consecutive home runs, which doesn't happen often, and we can't discount that. It's a great thing that happened. 
But other than that, the Braves did score a run in the ninth. The Phillies still seem to have this weird problem with who the heck is pitching the ninth inning. Let's talk about that for a second. It's weird, right? It's really weird. And even L.A. and Fransky on the broadcast are talking about, here's Hector Neris, who's not the closer, but he's closing. And maybe he'll be the closer when we're told that he's the closer. It's really weird because earlier in the year, Jenmar Gomez was taken out of the closer role in a very public way to the media. And then Pete McCannon said, yeah, Joaquin Benoit is now our closer. Gomez is out. Benoit's in. And asked if Naris should be the guy. He said, well, we like Naris where he is right now. We want him to get big outs. Uh, we think for his development, it's best that he's in the eighth inning or whatever he said there, sort of, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But by the way, Naris is like 27, 28. He's not necessarily 23 here. But we all thought, okay, Benoit's the veteran. He's been there before. We get it. Fine. If you're going to do a closer thing, good. That's fine. Do it. Benoit's the guy. Let him be the closer. And Naris gets to be the setup guy. But then Benoit, of course, blows the game against the Nationals. Bryce Harper hits a home run with two outs in the ninth inning. I mean, come on, Bryce Harper. It's not as if it was Paul Yanish, right? It was Bryce Harper. No offense to Paul Yanish, but come on. Then, the next time the Phillies have a safe situation, which is against the Mets, McCannon just puts Naris in the game in the ninth. And then he did it again. And then he did it again. <laughs> and it's, it's, what is happening here? If McCannon wants to use Naris, why doesn't he just say, because he said it with Gomez. He made it public with Gomez. If you're going to make it public with Gomez, you got to make it public with Naris. I mean, you just got to be consistent. That's just my bugaboo with this. He's got to be consistent. Otherwise, we're Ryan Sandberg all over again. All over again. And you don't want that. You, you want consistency here with the media. You want consistency with the players. I'm sure the players are probably getting the message. But we as fans in the media, we just kind of need to know what the heck is going on here. Not to whine or anything, but come on. Just be consistent with this message so we're not making narratives that are dumb about this. I mean, seriously. That said... If McCannon wants to go with this sort of Hector Neris is the guy for the moment because he has the best stuff, and then sort of if Neris has a rough patch, then he just decides that Pat Neshek is the guy or maybe Benoit again or whatever, then that's fine. Do that. I don't mind that. I think that's great. I think having a closer, set closer, sometimes can be a really dumb idea because not every team in baseball has that kind of guy. Unless you have Mariano Rivera or Trevor Hoffman or... Pabblebon in his prime or whatever, it's really hard to have a guy who just say, you're the ninth inning guy, go. Most of the time that doesn't work. For the Phillies, especially the Phillies, who are not a playoff team right now, at least at this moment, they don't need to do that. They can have guys who kind of cycle in and out of the eighth and ninth inning and whatever else. They have good enough relievers to be able to do that. So right now, I think McCannon should just go with his gut. But if you're going to do that, say that. You know, I don't need to talk about the closer thing every time. I just want to go with my gut right now and see whoever the best guy is for the job is going to be that guy. End of story. Done. Move on. We don't need to talk about closers anymore. Just do that and move on. That's it. Meanwhile, the Phillies are weird. Uh, they have great defensive moments, and we'll talk to Dan Walsh in a moment about the defense. And then they also have ridiculous hiccups. And we talked a little bit, Dan and I, about Tommy Joseph. 
who looks like he's really lost, and I think he needs a couple days. I think we need to get Brock Stassi in there. Maybe Daniel Nava moves to first base for a game or two. Maybe when Kendrick comes back from the DL, he moves to first base for a game or two. Also, Aaron Altair needs to play every day. I mean, that's just what we're seeing right now with Aaron Altair is the guy needs to play every single day. He's hitting 364 with a 667 slugging percentage. 36 plate appearances, but he looks really, really solid out there and knows what he's doing and his defense is good he should be playing in the outfield every day it seems like at this point he's got to get his chance otherwise they're weird right they they get in these very close games if they can hold it for a while maybe they find a way to get a run home and they get a lead and maybe the bullpen does the job if not then we get all upset about it but that's what 500 teams and teams that are around 500 seem to do all the time the manager's role is a little bit more elevated. We get to see in real time how the manager makes mistakes and how they apply to the game at hand. And so we get a little bit more ornery about McCannon and other managers of 500 teams at this, at this kind of team. But that's what the team probably is. I think this team is somewhere going to be around a 500 team this year. Maybe a little bit under that. They don't look that great. Again, smoke and mirrors with the Braves wins. We'll see. You know, they also sometimes look really good. And the pitching, the starting pitching is finally coming along. Really good pitching performances this weekend. Zach Eflin looks like he belongs. Really does. Really looks like he belongs right now. He's got a um, 225 ERA, a 382 FIP, fielding independent percentage. He looks like he's just solid. And, and we need a guy like that right now. Velasquez, hopefully he continues to kind of get himself in a groove and get past that five-inning thing. He goes up against the Marlins on Tuesday. Aaron Nola has a much better FIP than his ERA. I think he looks fine. Jeremy Hellickson looks great. Eikhoff looks great. So hopefully that continues. And if that does continue, this team probably has enough to be around 500 for quite a while. And that's cool. We want to see a 500 team going into June, July. It'd be really neat. We don't need to make any big moves at the deadline. We can even sell a little bit. But if this team can contend a little bit until the summer, that's going to be great for everybody. The young kids, the prospects, for the fans, it'll be great. So hopefully that continues. So far, so good. 9-9. Nine nine. Take 2 or 3 from the Marlins. Then do whatever the heck you can against the Dodgers and the Cubs. But hey, this is fun. This is good. We're now in a groove. 9-9 nine nine fills. Let's go. Well, one great thing about the Phillies this season so far, at least to our eyes, is the defense. Uh, they've been making some great plays. There are certainly some great plays from Freddie Galvis. Uh, Odubel Herrera has had some really nice plays out there taking better routes. Dan Walsh is here of Phillies Nation to talk a little bit about some of the defensive highs and lows for the Phillies this season. First off, Dan, I don't know. Do, do you think the Phillies look better defensively this year? I mean, take that last sort of half of the Braves game on Saturday out of the equation. Um, but what do you what do you think? I actually was really worried about their defense coming into the season because, especially in the corner outfield spots, right? You think Michael Saunders not really known for his defense, to say the least. Howie Kendrick is an infielder converted into playing left field just because. You know, that's where there's been a spot for him in the last few years. So I was really concerned, especially about outfield defense uh, this season. Um, but, you know, it hasn't been terrible. And, and I think that now with Kendrick Allen and hopefully uh, Altair getting some more reps in, in left field, that the defense as a whole can start to come together, at least in, you know, 
portions of the field. Yeah, I, right now the outfield defense doesn't have any errors, and uh, Altair has not played, at least played 61 innings, uh, well, actually 60, 70 as of today. Um, and he's had only, only kind of a handful of chances out there, but he seems to be very fluid out there. Left field is obviously a much easier position than right field for a lot of players, um, although a lot of balls are hit the left field too, so I don't know. But uh, Odubel Herrera, I think, has been really decent. I Just watching him in 2015 and some of the routes he was taking the balls and sort of getting lost in, in the field there, he looks like he's much more polished at center field, do, do you think? Yeah, and I mean, we, we do have to give him some slack because before the Phillies picked him up, he had played something like 20 innings yeah. in, in the outfield. So the fact that he's even as good of a fielder as he is now is kind of astounding. Um, I wouldn't say that he looks like a natural out there because I don't think he looks natural doing anything, like literally anything <laughs> in his life. But I feel pretty confident in him at least, uh, you know, when the ball's hit in a gap or, or anywhere towards center, I feel confident that he'll at least end up in that area. Yeah, I love, it was it Friday, I think it was, a Braves player, I forget who it was, but hit one deep. And he made this ridiculous, like, he didn't have to make the sort of moves that he made when he got to the ball, but he made them, and then he tumbled, and he put on a show of it. And then Saturday, he had the really nice catch where he didn't waste a step to the ball. It seems like you can get that beautiful, graceful play once in a blue moon from him, but yeah, he's he's usually pretty awkward. But but hey, he's our guy. I love him. Yeah, I'm I'm in his corner. Trust me. Now the infield uh, has had all the errors so far this season. And really, the the biggest error. I mean, actually, let's say this: Michael Franco has three errors so far this year. Is he a good fielder, or is he? I know we're going to talk later on the podcast about his hitting, but is he a good fielder or a bad fielder? I think we've we've kind of been on both sides of this. What's what are you thinking? Right. You know, I hesitate to use errors as a metric for actual defensive no. acumen. Yep. Um, but so as for Franco himself, though, he he seems to me like a player who will never have immaculate range, right? He'll never have Manny Machado's range over a third base, but he has a crazy good arm and he seems to have decent hands. And that's, you know, that's true to even what I was reading before he came out was that his range in the, you know, uh, in the hot corner would be questionable. But if he can have, um, you know, if he can have good hands, if he can make the throws, then he should be at least passable defensively. And that seems to be the case so far, um, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, I think with Franco, you're right. The range is really the biggest question mark. But I think he kind of has been able to mask that a little bit by positioning himself pretty well out there against hitters. It doesn't seem like he's put in a position where he has to make a crazy dive to the uh, the baseline or the foul line. It doesn't seem like he's really out of position to get a really, you know, tough line drive over his head. For the most part, he's usually in the right place at the right time, and that has to be a testament to the coaching, I guess. Yeah, and all the, you know, the the statistics that they're keeping track of now and the computer models that they have to to try to determine where the ball might be hit will certainly help fielders like Franco kind of hide that lack of range, uh, you know, going forward in the future. Now, as far as, to me, it looks like the worst defensive player out there is Tommy Joseph. I could be wrong, but he seems like he, I don't know, it seems like he makes just really bad mental mistakes, which I guess is not like a, it's a fielding thing, but it's not a fielding thing. He's, it's not an athletic thing, let's say. Um, what, what do you think about Tommy Joseph? I think he's better than Ryan Howard, for sure. 
Yeah, well, I think I would be better than Ryan Howard also. But um, <laughs> I feel bad. Um, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be knocking him. <laughs> no, listen, I have plenty of respect for Ryan Howard also, but he, he had some pretty terrible moments there in the field. Um, but no, so Tommy Joseph, it, it's hard to really assess anything about him right now because he seems so completely lost. He seems lost at the plate. You know, he'll swing at three pitches, nowhere near the strike zone in a row. And then how often do you see a player who's slumping to that degree at the plate go out into the field and then make mental errors also in the field, you know? So, yeah. so it's like, maybe, maybe he's just so in his own head right now that he, every aspect of his game might be falling apart. For all we know, he's going to put a ball in play and run to third base instead of first, you know, that's kind of how out of it he seems right now. And I really hope he turns it around soon. Well, um, it, it's kind of funny because last year, everybody forgot about him and it, and I mean, nobody in the system, it seemed like even like thought about Tommy Joseph as, potential anything and that's when he just broke out completely and became a major league you know ready hitter but now it seems like because everybody's waiting on him to do something big a lot is happening and he's not really responding I wonder if it is like he's he's totally in his own head and he can't get out because he's so much is expected of him right now yeah, you know, it's impossible for us to say from the outside, but that's something that yeah. would at least explain, you know, the level of the struggles that he's had because he's really just up there hacking at this point. Yeah, and, and, and throwing balls to third base thinking that a runner or thinking that Freddie Galvis is a runner. Yeah, he's trying to he's trying to get Freddie Galvis out of third himself. <laughs> it's just, it, it's really tough to watch right now. I, I feel bad for the guy. Well, let me ask you this question then. If Tommy Joseph continues, I mean, what at what point? So someone on Twitter today said something to the extent, and this is Sunday we're talking, after Aaron Altair hit his home run. At what point do we think, like, Howie Kendrick plays first base and Aaron Altair is in the outfield? Is that something that could happen soon? It could happen. It seems like he should, like um, Tommy Joseph should at least get the full month of the amount of playing time that he's been getting. You know, things... Some guys start slow. It takes, you know, how how many dozens of at-bats before your stats actually normalize and become yeah. predictive of the future. It seems like if they were if they were bullish enough on him to name him the opening day first baseman, at least give him that time. Um, so that it is, if it is just a slump, which players go through, it happens. He has time to at least climb back out of it before we decide that his entire career is a wash. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I just, I worry that, Everything he's doing right now looks bad, and it looks like he just doesn't know how to play Major League Baseball. Finally, like the best defensive player on the team, it seems like it's Freddie Galvis. I, I don't think that's a question at this point. Are you with me on that one? Uh, yeah, I'm 100% with you on that, to the point where if we're getting ahead of ourselves and starting to think about the infield, not only of this year, but of the future, that's one of the reasons why people, why some people are arguing that when J.P. Crawford comes up, Maybe you'll move Cesar Hernandez to a different team. Maybe you'll trade him and use Freddie Galvis at second. I've actually heard that argument, despite Hernandez being a superior hitter by yeah, a wide margin. Really, it's, really. <laughs> yeah, I have heard that. Just because Galvis is uh, such an immaculate defender. Now, I'm not saying that's the way I would go, but, but, but it does speak to you know he can play all these different positions uh, and and uh, with a plum. Really, he's such a good defender. But the thing is, though, if you move Freddie Galvis to second, you lose all of that great defensive ability at shortstop because it's such a demanding position. I feel like if you move Crawford up, why don't you? I mean, is it possible you move him to second base for the beginning, or is that like you're you're really toying with something and you don't want to do that? Yeah, I don't know if that's really what you want to do, especially with how his promotion to AAA has already been problematic. 
Yeah. Um, but really, to me, Freddie's value going forward will be as a utility player with you know immaculate defense. He can switch hit, so if you want to bring him off the bench uh, at some point in the game, he can, even though he's not a great hitter. But really, he's like a defense-first uh, player to me. Yeah, and I'm with you. I, and, and considering how awesome Cesar Hernandez is playing right now, I don't think anybody's going to be unseating him at second base. If they do trade him, I, you know, that they get probably get good value for him. So we'll see what happens. But hopefully he keeps up those uh, those bombs that he's hitting recently. Yeah, uh, I can't believe it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I love the guy now. Dan Walsh, Phillies Nation. I'll talk to you later on. Yeah, sure. Our guest this week on the Phillies Nation podcast is someone that you'll see every time you tune into a Phillies game on television. He is the field reporter for the Phillies. Uh, he's been the field reporter since 2012. Greg Murphy, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I got to ask you first off, because you've been the field reporter since 2012, is it fair to say that you're the reason the Phillies have not played well? <laughs> you know, you're not the first person to make that correlation. Oh, really? Fact, really? <laughs> we were sitting in the dugout, um, well, yesterday as we're taping this interview, we were in New York uh, in our final game against the Mets, and I sit down next to Mickey Morandini, and he says, hey, Murph, when did, when did you start? And I said, I always hesitate to answer that question <laughs> and i said uh, uh 2012 was my first year and he just goes so you're the reason all right i got it uh yeah so uh, <laughs> i do get that a lot but i will say this too i hope i get the credit when we finally turn this thing around and start winning i hope people are going to give me as much credit for that as well <laughs> I, I mean you've certainly gone to great lengths to you know show that you're all in good fun with everything that you do um, I remember, of course, last year was the the fun uh, jumping into the pool at Chase Field. Uh, anything planned <laughs> like that this year, or are you trying to think in your mind of things that you can do that are just wild and wacky and get you, you know, some viral uh, hits? You know, it's funny. Um, those kinds of things don't ever seem to be planned ahead of time. Uh, you know, not really, anyway. You know, the thing that happened in Arizona, I was on the, uh, it was the beginning of a, I believe, a three-game series in Arizona, and I was on the pregame show on Comcast Sportsnet with uh, Michael Barkan and, or maybe it was Marshall Harris and, and Ricky Metallico. They kind of said, hey, you know what would be cool? If we, if we sweep, you should jump in the pool. And I said, I'll tell you what, if we, if we sweep, I'll jump in the pool. And then, you know, we thought, we thought about it, and I, we we won the first two games, and I was like, well, look, I, I got to jump in now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, was, uh, yeah, like they're not going to so, show it at the end of the – yeah, of course. Exactly, exactly. So that's that's kind of how that played out. And uh, so to answer your question, I don't really have anything planned, but I always say to my producer, Jeff Halleckman, and, and to Tom McCarthy and, and the rest of the guys, I'm up for anything. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll do just about anything um, if we think it's good television and we think it'll it make the fans at home uh, at least have a chuckle or two. Is there anything? Is there any sort of dream scenario that you'd want to get put into at a visiting ballpark? Anything that you've, you know, like Wrigley Field, rooftop stuff, or like any, any anything that you've, as you've been to different ballparks, thought, oh, I got to do that someday. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, so there's a couple that I've done, and uh, the rooftop was one of them, and I've gotten a chance to do that a couple of times, which is great. Um, I'd like to get inside that scoreboard one day, which um, which I think can happen, and um, and I think will happen at some point. I think that'd yeah. be neat. In San Francisco, I, I did the kayak yep, yep. out in uh, McCovey Cove, and, and which was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Um, but I, I have not slid down the slide in Milwaukee yet. And do, do they that, let people do that? Do they let other people do that? Not really, okay. but 
<laughs> but we're going to try anyway. And, and, and jump, in front actually, of, jump in front of Bernie at some point and just do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly right, you know. And, and I'd like to do that. And I'd also like to do um, – I know a couple of folks in, in my line of work have done the sausage race, um, put on the costume and done the sausage race. So um, I would do, do that as well. Uh, so those are a couple of things that we've, we've thought about, we've talked about that haven't happened yet. But I, I think if I – if I get to do this long enough, they'll, they'll happen eventually. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to see you in the sausage race or something like that. <laughs> have you um have you been behind the the wall the the Green Monster in Boston? I have. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, I guess that was two years ago. Uh, we were able to go inside the wall and uh, <laughs> talk about a cool experience. I actually videoed it on my phone and we showed it on the air as I went in there and and uh, you know read all the names on the wall and and so yeah. Yeah. Some pretty cool stuff so far. And and there's just, you know, who knows? There's always something else to be done. And uh, so if there is, I'm going to try and do it. <laughs> um, it must be a dream for you. Now, you uh, obviously grew up a Phillies fan. You Where where were you born, in, in Philly or outside of Philly? I was born uh, in my hospital, and uh, it's the section of Pennsylvania, uh, Philadelphia. Um, and I my first seven or eight years of my life, I lived in the Northeast, and okay. we moved over to South Jersey, and I grew up. Over in South Jersey, you know, while I was in school and high school and everything. So, um, but, you know, born a Phillies fan and, uh, you know, grew up just outside the city in South Jersey and uh, grew up loving all four Philly teams. And yeah. and I just literally pinch myself all the time knowing that I get a chance to do what I do now. So I, I ask people uh, all the time in these interviews, what, do you have a first memory of, of watching the Phillies either live or on television? Uh, yeah, I have two actually. Um, the the first real memory I have of of uh, the Phillies and baseball was when I went to a game with my my parents. It was probably probably five or six years old, maybe. And I remember walking out in Veterans Stadium behind home plate. You know the mid-levels, 400 level or whatever it was, tunnels from underneath where the concessions were, and seeing that field for the very first time. And how green it was. That that sticks in my mind to this day. How green the AstroTurf was in this big, <laughs> you know, cement building. And I was just blown away See, by I how cool that is. I tried to make a joke with Dan Baker, who I talked to a couple of weeks ago, because he talked about coming out and seeing the field for the first time at Connie Mack Stadium. Okay. And and I said, you know, as a kid, my first memory, you know, I don't like think of walking out the tunnel and seeing Veteran Stadium grass because it was AstroTurf and it looked ridiculous. <laughs> so, I, like to me, that like I, I'm, I'm, it's funny to me that you have that as like your. I mean, you know, you're a kid. You don't you don't know either way. But but that's pretty cool yeah. that, that that it's you know that you didn't care like what the surface was apparently. You know what? I probably didn't even know right, at the right. time. You know, I probably didn't even understand that it wasn't real grass, and um, I just remembered it being so big and so green. And I, I yeah, honestly, I mean. I, I feel like I could probably pick the section as to where we were sitting uh, when we walked out and, and saw it for the first time. So that's my that's my one memory. My my second one is um, probably one that many people my age have, and that is I was uh, I had just turned nine years old, and it was 1980, and I was watching the final game of the World Series, and my father was a school teacher, and he was a sixth grade school teacher, and he was on his, the school camping trip with the sixth graders, and I had to go. Oh. And yeah, so we were in cabins, and I was with a bunch of kids I didn't know because I didn't go to that school. Of and they put us all in this one big room to watch it on the television. 
And I, I'm telling you, the way I remember it, first inning, four pitches in, the TV goes. So they sent us all back to our cabins, and we had to listen to the final game on the radio. Okay. And and then when they won, we ran outside and we we're banging pots and pans and anything else that we could get our hands on. So that's my that's my other memory. I was hooked after that. Um, I was a baseball nut, and uh, so those are the two things I remember. Did, did, did you ever? Did, were you ever upset at your dad for making you go on that trip with him and his class? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still upset at him for that. You know, it's funny. Uh, so the, the Phils have won two World Series, obviously, in in their uh, existence, and I have not been able to see either of the final pitches because, one, I was listening to on the radio, right. and in, in back in 2008, I was working at the time, and I was working for uh, Comcast, and we were underneath the ballpark waiting to go out on the field when that final pitch was thrown, so we didn't see it either. We only heard it and, um, and then went out on the field and, and celebrated so, out there, so... So yeah. what's, what's that feeling like, though, because not a lot of people had that, you know, can kind of have that memory, but, you know, being underneath the stadium as the final pitch is thrown, because that place was shaking that night, obviously. Yeah, you know, it it was surreal, um, because first of all, I, I, I'm such a fan, I'm such a Phillies fan that I was so excited, you know, all my buddies that I grew up with, they're all going nuts, and, um, you know, we were going to win a World Series, and that's pretty darn cool in Philadelphia. So from that perspective, I was just geeked up like everybody else. Um, being underneath was, it was almost, it was a little frustrating because you, you didn't know we got brought down in the, uh, you know, the top half of the inning. Um, and, or I guess the bottom of the eighth, I guess yeah. is when we got brought down. And so the top half of the ninth is going on and we're hearing it over the P you know, we're hearing it over the radio PA, uh, as they were calling the game, but we're not seeing it. And we're just all lined up. There's probably about 100 of us, media members, all lined up, um, you know, in a hallway. And so, <laughs> you know, it, you're kind of like, man, I wish I was in the stands right now watching the end of this. But, yeah. you know, but being out on the field about three minutes after the final pitch oh, was pretty cool, too. So, you know, you can't have it both ways. So I'll, I'll take I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so being, being behind the scenes as you are, you know, having to interview players and be out in the stands and kind of be working all the time, but still kind of in a way, you're sort of like the connection to the fans because you do kind of the fun stuff on the field and you talk to fans and, and you're, you know, moving about. How do you balance that connection when when you're, you know, doing two different things, but you're, you kind of want to be in the mindset of being a fan, but obviously you have to work? Yeah, you know, I, I, I first of all, to me, what you just said is one of the biggest compliments that anyone could, could pay me, and that is that I'm kind of the connection to the fans. I, I take that very seriously um, because that's exactly the way I view my role, um, I, I, I am a fan, and, and I get what fans are going through in Philadelphia, at least I believe I do, and uh, <laughs> so, so I really do try to keep that in mind for the most part when, when I'm doing my job, whether I'm doing something, I mean, there'll be times where I'm like, geez, should I be doing this now, you know, we're down 5-2, and you know, it, there are times where you say to yourself, if I were a fan at home, would I want to see this clown doing something right now? Um, and, and we have those conversations. You know, there are t sometimes that we don't do things because we think, you know what, now's not the time. We'll have to save this for, an, for another day. Mm -hmm. but, um, but, you know, I think I'm lucky in that I can be a fan. And, and I would argue, and Tom McCarthy and I have had this discussion and other play-by-play -play guys, and, you know, to me, when you work for a team as a major league play-by-play -play guy or field reporter, you know, I think it's okay to be 
a fan. I think it's okay to be rooting for that team. You're not doing it for a national entity. You're not doing it and trying to be biased and down the middle, all right, unbiased and down the middle. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to to root a little bit for the home team. I mean, after all, that's who you, that's who your paycheck's coming from. Sure, sure. That's, that, you know, when the team wins, our broadcast is better. When the team is winning, the city is more in tune to what we're doing. And so, you know, it really does affect us um, on a day-to-day basis in terms of winning and losing. So, I don't. I don't think I need to balance it. When I worked for Comcast Sportsnet um, as a sports anchor, I think there's a little bit more balance there. You have to you have to separate yourself a little bit from it. But nowadays, in the role I'm doing, <laughs> maybe maybe I do it too much. But I, I just consider myself a fan that gets a chance to talk about the game every day. So um, that's the way I that's the way I approach it most of the time. No, definitely. I, I think that's the good way to approach it. I mean, you. You were so you were an anchor at TSN. Uh, was, mm-hmm. You went to broadcast for, for you went to St. Joe's. Did you do broadcast St. Joe's? I didn't. Um, St. Joe's doesn't even well didn't at the time uh, have broadcasting as a as a major um, or a minor or any classes for that matter. Okay. I I got very lucky. I went to St. Joe's. I graduated um, high school in '89 and went to St. Joe's. And my freshman year at St. Joe's, my a good friend of mine was a big music nut. And he, he knocked on my dorm room one day in September, and he said, hey, I heard they're starting a radio station on campus. I'm going to go to the meeting because I want to be a DJ, so you want to go with me? And I was like, well, yeah, I'll go with you. So I went, and in the meeting, there's about 40 people in the meeting, and they were all music people. They were you know, all into music and everything, and I like music, but that's not my thing. And they stood up and said, well, we need somebody to play, do play-by-play for the basketball games. And... No one, no one raised their hand, wow. and I was like, uh, "I'll do that." <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's how I got started. And after my freshman year of doing men's and women's games at St. Joe's, I just said to myself, "You know what? I was going to be a lawyer. That was the plan." And I oh. said, "This is this is so much better than that." And um, I just start. I got an internship with Neil Hartman, um, and uh, worked with him for a year and a half. And then I got two other internships and. And I never looked back. So that's kind of how I started. I was an English literature major with the pre-law uh, emphasis, and uh, and that never really panned out. So wow. So, <laughs> so so do you ever feel like you should drop, you know, uh, English lit? I'm trying to think. Well, I guess Shakespeare or something like that. Should you should you, or, or should you try to drop some weird references during the games that that no one would understand, or maybe some law speak? I don't know. Uh, you know what? Well, certainly not the law speak because I never even got that far. <laughs> yeah. English, yeah. My my one um, my one foray into that was there's a beer vendor here who walks up and down the um, the aisles at, at Citizens Bank Park and he just screams Stella at the top of his lungs <laughs> and 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 I I think I'm the only one that thinks it's funny because you know, <laughs> I, I I just think it's it's tremendous. So oh, yeah. Yeah, um, but uh, so that's about it. But maybe, yeah, maybe I'll have to go back into my my early lit days and and pull out some references to see if they have any attachment to baseball whatsoever. I mean, tap into that range that you got, you know. Yes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you got the internship with uh, Neil Hartman, and then and then basically you were kind of on the fast track at that point. You you went out to Allentown or something like that. Yeah. Well, first my first television job. Um, 
I, you know, one day maybe I'll, I'll write it all down, but I, I've been so lucky in my career. I graduated St. Joe's and had contacts, but couldn't get a job. I worked in a, in a deli, uh, delicatessen for a year out of college. Um, and finally stumbled upon a job at a company called Scoreboard, which was a sports memorabilia company, much like Upper Deck. Mm-hmm. And I was working there just as a, you know, a glorified gopher. Um, and one night they decided to have this, this party for our CEO and everyone had to bring a gift. Well, I didn't have a gift. So myself and another guy, um, put on tape a fake television show where we sold autographed, uh, um, memorabilia from our CEO. And they actually played it at the party. And after that, the CEO came over to us and said, you know what? I'm going to put you guys on TV, and he did. I started selling on QVC and Home Shopping Network and Sports Channel back in the day. Oh, wow. And turned that into my job my job at uh, Reading and Allentown. So, um, yeah, you just never know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's <laughs> you just an, never know. That's an also, I mean, and, and that's usually how it works is you do something that is just sort of, you know, funny or stupid or you right. know, you're, you're not even, you're just in your kind of creative place, and you're like, let me do something. And it turns out to be the thing that changes your life. So that, yeah. that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah it, you know, it, it really is. And, and again, it's just, you know, I got lucky. I guess you put yourself in some situations to get lucky. I like to think I've done that. But, you know, if I look back over my career, over the four or five jobs that I've, I've had, um, you know, each one of them has a little bit of a wow. If I didn't, if I wasn't standing there, I might not have gotten that. And, uh, it's you know, it, including the Phillies job. I mean, I just, yeah. I kind of, I kind of lucked into all this too. So, so, <laughs> so uh, how, how did you luck into the Phillies job? Well, I so I had been working um, for a TV station called CN8, which is was the precursor to the Comcast network. Wow, we remember is, CN8, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. So I was, I was a sports your guy over at with, CN8. Uh, wait, wait, forget it. <laughs> What's that? Remember, uh, your call was the big uh, show, It's your right? call with Lynn Doyle. Yeah, yeah there Lynn you Doyle. go. Lynn Doyle, right, Lynn. That's right. So I worked right down the hall from Lynn, and, and I, I hosted a show the final three years of CN8 uh, called Out of Bounds, um, which we were very proud of. It was a very good show. The, the only problem was no one was watching. And um, so eventually... Um, I had just signed a new contract with CN8, and about a month later, the station went out of business. Mm. Um, so here I was with a three-year contract, and so Comcast said, well, we want you to go over to Comcast Sportsnet and work, be an anchor over there. So I did, which was very lucky, and uh, became you know a part of the on-air staff at, at Comcast Sportsnet, which I absolutely loved. And... Um, one day, I was I had a day off, and my news director from Comcast Sportsnet, Michelle Murray, called me, and she said, Greg, I need you to come in right away. And that's never a good phone conversation if you're in the TV business. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and she could tell I was like, um, On and off. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And she said, look, deal. I promise you, it's, it's not bad, but I just need you to come in. I have to talk to you. You need to talk to someone about an opportunity is what she said. And oh. I said, okay, and I was convinced that they were going to ask me to go to Houston to start the new Comcast Sportsnet in Houston oh. and, and kind of be the Michael Barkan role down in Houston. That's what I thought was going to happen. Long story short, I walk into an office with a couple of, of our higher-ups, and um, I sat down, and the one, my current boss, Sean Alexiak, said to me, how would you like to be part of the Phillies broadcast team? And I looked at him, and I said, what do you mean? And he, and he explained, and... I I said, um, 
yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'd like to do that. <laughs> and about two weeks later, I was in spring training. So um, that's how that's how that all played out. Yeah, that's really cool. So, <laughs> yeah, um, like I said, a little bit of luck, a little bit about being in the right place at the right time, for sure. So now, now, so you've been doing this for now six years. Is your sixth year um, at Wichita right. Hills? And through these six years, you know, obviously there's been a lot of different players coming through. We've had a lot of change. A lot of things have happened with the team. Pick like a moment or two that really stand out as far as your experience so far and, and things that have really been the coolest things that you've done in the last six years. Okay. From a baseball standpoint, I think first and foremost, um, Cole Hamill's no-hitter at Wrigley uh, is number one. It was... It was such a cool day in such a down season, and we knew that Cole was probably going to be traded shortly thereafter, which he was. And um, I remember, uh, ironically, my my two sons. I have three kids, but my two sons were uh, in Chicago for that series, and they had never been to Wrigley. Their first game in Wrigley. They're sitting in the bleachers, and Hamill throws that no hitter, and. Uh, it would, yeah, I mean, they don't even get how cool that is. They will someday. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I just remember that day from a baseball standpoint saying to myself, this is this is as cool of, of a thing that I've been involved with um, directly. And my interview with Cole after the game was, was great. Cole could, be, Cole could be a great interview sometimes, but he could also be very difficult at other times. And um, he was just excellent in the interview real thoughtful and and um as you would expect i mean he was he was pretty emotionally pumped up but um so so to that for from a baseball standpoint that's been the best that i've been involved in um but you know i i remember my first broadcast like it was yesterday um it was in pittsburgh and you know just saying to myself wow you know here i am part of the phillies broadcast team back in 2012 um, that was a pretty surreal moment. And then three years ago, uh, Tom McCarthy needed a day off and, um, they turned to me and asked me if I wanted to do the play by play. And I had, I'd never ever in my life called a baseball game. And my first game was a, uh, was a Phillies game. So, um, that was a pretty cool moment too. I'd like to think I've gotten better since then, but, <laughs> but I don't well, know. But, um, I I've actually, yeah. I actually wanted to say, um, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I've, I've heard, I mean, you've been taking over for Tom when he would go and, you know, he's mm-hmm. done some football broadcasts and things like that later in the season. And you did some spring training too this year. I heard yeah. you at spring training this year. You sound great. You really oh, improved, you. you know, from, from that first time, I think. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you are definitely very settled in the job at this point. Oh, I appreciate that. And, and I think that's a, that's probably the best way to describe it. It's like anything else in life. And I tried to explain this to my, my kids and, you know, anybody else that, that wants to listen. People on you Twitter. Know, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I try to, I try calmly to explain to people on Twitter that it's not the easiest job in the world. Um, but, uh, you know, when you feel comfortable, uh, when you start to feel comfortable uh, in, in whatever you're doing, I think you just improve um, you know, leaps and bounds because of that. Mm-hmm. And I have, I've gotten to the point now where um, I, I'm comfortable in doing the games. I, I certainly want to and intend to uh, keep working at it and getting better and better. Um, I have huge shoes to fill when I'm filling in for Tom McCarthy. So um, 
you know, I'd like to get to the level where um, there wasn't a, a big drop off between the two of us. But um, you know, but I only get a couple chances a year to do it, so it's hard to it's hard to practice. But yeah. it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it is it is you know, guys like McCarthy and obviously Harry and and the guys that um, that we all know that do it at a very high level. They make it they make it look easy. I can tell you, it is not an easy job. It is. Yeah. Uh, it's it takes a lot of talent for the, for those guys to be able to do it the way yeah. they do it. I think people kind of don't realize how much goes into doing a broadcast, you know, on television or on radio or whatever. Um, and and Tom does make it sound really easy when he's out there. What, what's if, if, if is there anything that's the hardest thing about doing a play-by-play broadcast? You know, if you've ever been to a ball game, I always people like to give others a hard time about you know missing a, a home run call or or getting a deep fly ball wrong. Um, and I always, I always, I'm sitting in the stands, and there's a fly ball at City Field yesterday, and thirty thousand people get on their feet because they think it's a home run. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, like, we well, all do that. Well, hey, if they all think it's a home run, why isn't it okay for the play-by-play guy to think it's a home run? That's so, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, people people don't want to think that way. Uh, they expect <laughs> you to get it right all the time. So the more you do it, the better you get at it because you just you just kind of start to see and, and hear it a little differently. But yeah. uh, but yeah. that was an adjustment. It was an adjustment for me for sure. Um, are you thinking to stay as the field reporter for a while here with the Phils, or do you have ambitions to be a P by P guy somewhere else, or maybe you know in Philly if Tom does something else or whatever? Or do you want to? What's your future look looking like? Well, here's what I would say, and if my boss Sean Alexiak is listening, I would say this: Sean, I love to stay for as long as you possibly would keep me. <laughs> um, I. I, I Love, I love doing what I do, and I, I absolutely when I when I decided to be a sportscaster, my dream job was um, at the time. I don't know how old you are, Tim, but Gary Papa was the was the main sports anchor at Channel Six, which yeah. was the main station in town. And I, I'm old, and I said I want to be Gary Papa. <laughs> I, I want to be the number. Okay, yeah, but I want to be I want to be the number one on the number one network. And yeah. and when I finally ended up at Comcast Sportsnet. Um, you know, the number one part of things kind of goes away. Now, you, you, when you get in the business, you're like, I have, I'd love to work in my hometown and, and work for, you know, the number one sports station in town, which was Comcast Sportsnet and is Comcast Sportsnet. So when I got to Sportsnet, I said, I've, I've made it. I, I got my dream job. I'm, I could do this for the rest of my life. Um, and then the Phillies called, and I got this job. And so that kind of changed things. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize there was a next level up from even what I thought I had. So... To answer your question, I would do the field reporting for as long as, as uh, they'll have me. If um, if a play-by-play job opened up uh, in another city, I would think about it for sure. I'd be foolish not to. Um, but I love working in Philly, and uh, it would have to be it have to be pretty special for me to, to take a job out of the city at this moment uh, with the, the age of my kids and stuff. So, you know, I'd like to stay here. I guess is the- yeah, yeah. Question. In, in any role, in any capacity, but I'd like to stay in Philadelphia. So, well, certainly we like watching you on the broadcasts, and and you're there every game. Uh, so it's it's a lot of fun to see you out there with the fans and with players and with uh, fathers of players and mothers of players and all that great stuff. Greg, we appreciate you uh, on the broadcast. We appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks a lot, Greg. It's been a pleasure. It's my pleasure too, Tim. Thanks uh, anytime, and all the best with the podcast.
Well, Cesar Hernandez is hitting the ball really hard right now. Dubal Herrera is having a pretty good season at the plate. One Philly that's not quite doing it, at least on the peripheral side, is Michael Franco. Uh, his numbers right now, they don't look good. 182 average, 257 OBP, 348 slug, does have a couple home runs. But, Dan Walsh here, Phillies Nation, coming back at you. You are trying to tell me here that Mike Franco is better than, better than meets the eye right now. He's better than the eye test. I'm telling you right now, he's doing everything under his control. He's doing well. What he's struggling with are the things that he has no control over at all. Things like luck. Things like, you know, hitting a ball right at a fielder, even though he, he hit it, uh, you know, he hit, he hit a laser right at a fielder. Things that he can't control at all. Um, so what I want to do here, here's how I'll put it to you. All right. Okay. So I have stats from two players in front of me right now. I'm not going to tell you who they are. I'm just okay. going to call them player A and I'm going to call them player B. Right. All right. That's cool. I'll, I'll give you a few of their stats. You'll tell me which one you think is a better hitter or which you'd rather have on your team. That sound good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How many, how many of these are you doing? Uh, I got two or three that we can do. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's roll them out. Yeah. Sure, and it's going to be the same two players for all of them. Is that good? Yep, you got it. All right, so first we have player A. He hits 18% of his balls are line drives, 22% are soft contact, and 29 are hard contact. Player okay. B, right, so that's 18, 22, and 29. Okay. Player B, you got 21% line drives. You got 18% soft contact, so it's more line drives, less soft contact, 33% hard contact. So that's more hard contact there. Tell me, which one would you rather have on your team? Who's faster? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I would I would definitely pick player B with the hard contact and the line drives. I want a guy who hits lines. Yeah, absolutely. I don't blame you. All right, so let's go on to the next one. Player A walks 8% of the time. He strikes out 16% of the time. Player B walks almost 10% of the time. So that's more walks. He strikes out about 14% of the time. So it's a little less strikeouts. Which one would you rather have? If you're looking at walks and strikeouts, definitely player A. Or player, the, a? player B, the one with the 10%. Yeah, whoever the 10%. Yeah, player, player B. B walks more, strikes I'm, out I'm, less. I'm sensing, I'm sensing a trend. Player B. Right, all right. So one more. I've got one more for you. Player A swings at 33% of the pitches outside the zone, uh, and he has 11% swinging strikes. Okay. Player B... Swings at fewer pitches outside of the zone has a smaller percentage of swinging strikes. What are, Who would what you rather have? What are the percentages? Uh, Thirty-three. Uh, well, so for player B, he swings at outside pitches, twenty-seven uh, percent and eight percent of, of his eight uh, percent swinging strike rate. Okay, uh, definitely player B. Player B. All right. So I'm going to tell you, player B is 2017 Michael Franco. Damn it. Player A, player A is Franco in 2015 when we all said we all saw it as a breakout year. We said he was coming into the player that we needed him to be, that it was a great stepping stone for the future. And now we're talking about Franco like he's fallen apart since then. But with all these stats, he looks like a more refined hitter, right? He's walking more. He's striking out less. He's hitting the ball harder. He's hitting line drives more. Uh, he's yeah. chasing pitches less, right? So the only thing that he's gotten worse at is his batting average on balls in play. And now that is, you know, he, he's hitting 167 on balls in play right now, which yeah, is, that, you know, something... That's not sustainable. He, it's not, sustainable. not at all sustainable. His yeah. career 
uh, BABIP is 269. And usually you expect some regression toward that mean. You expect to end up closer to there. So um, I have every reason to believe that all these things that he's doing better this year will turn into more success. His BABIP will, will normalize. He'll end up getting on base a ton. All these hits will start falling. You know, he'll get on base as much as we need him to. All I'm saying is that he's doing a great job. You just don't see it yet. So what I I'm, – and I'm looking – I'm doing the eye test on him because I'll, I'll be the eye test guy. And I still see a guy who swings pretty wildly at times and the helmet starts flying off or he's, like, grabbing it at the last second before it falls off his head. Is that something we want to see from a hitter? Don't we want to see a guy who's a little more measured at the plate? Or or, or is Franco always going to be that guy and we just have to take the bad with we hope the good will be here? I think he's always going to be a little bit of a free swinger. But if you've noticed, he's he has had fewer instances of that happening this season. And in his game winner last night, which was Saturday night, uh, you saw, you know, he stayed pretty compact. The helmet stayed right on his head. Uh, you know, he didn't have to to run to first base with no helmet on because he swung, he overswung. He, and he, did, he almost didn't exactly. run to first base, by the way. <laughs> I don't blame him. Um, no, if he got tagged down, no, I guess the play would have been over. Anyways. But, um, but yeah, he, I think he's always going to be a bit of a free swinger. But we're already seeing a little bit more refinement to yeah. that effect, right? He's not swinging out of himself as often. And I think that the danger will be if some of these balls don't start falling for hits, what does he do then? Does he go back to what he was like before out of desperation? Or does he realize that this is just bad luck, it's fluky, it's part of the process, and things will come around for him eventually? And that's going to be Matt Stairs. I think that's, that's really where he comes into play. Because I'm sure he's working with him day to day and saying, you know, keep that swing where it is, keep hitting the ball hard, look at the pitch that you want, all that stuff. But at a certain point, if we're at, like, May 10th or May 20th and he's still hitting, like, 200 and he's not quite getting, you know, the balls that he wants in play, that's the problem. If he does decide, I'm going to start hacking at the first pitch all the time and then, you know, soft pop up into the infield, we got a real problem with this guy, I think. Yeah, we could. But all the, you know, all the stats that I'm looking at here suggest that that we don't that we shouldn't worry too much about that happening. He should end up well over the Mendoza line at least, you know. He should have some extra base hits come in, you know, all the kind of stuff that we need from him. Uh, I I fully expect to see in the future. Well, certainly his swing on Saturday, the game winner to beat the Braves was a really nice swing. Opposite field he went. It was very compact. It was very uh in the zone and it and it made a really uh really nice off the bat, it looked like it was definitely a double. It didn't look like a homer. It didn't look like a single. It looked like a line drive double. And Nick Markakis kind of can't believe he didn't go for it more, but it seemed like it was a double, and that was it, and it was, the game was over. So it was a really nice piece of hitting, and hopefully that continues. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say I, I think that it will. I think that that's you know, the beginning of, of uh, good things to come. Well, hopefully it is. Dan Walsh, thank you for coming on the podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, anytime. My thanks to Dan Walsh again for coming on. He will have a piece this week at philliesnation.com about Michael Franco and how he's actually hitting the ball better than you think. And hopefully that will start to show with actual hits and RBI and numbers going up, up, up. Hopefully it will. 
Also, thanks to Greg Murphy, the field reporter of the Phillies, for coming on. Great conversation with him. He's a real good guy. And you could find him all over the ballpark at CSN Philly, on the broadcasts, or wherever you may watch the Phillies. Thanks to BenSound.com for the music for the podcast. Hey, if you want to contribute your music, if you if you want to record something or you have recorded something, I want it on the podcast. I'd love to get local musicians on the podcast. So please email me at Tim at PhilliesNation.com or just tweet me at Timothy Malcolm. Or if you know somebody who's who's done some music and, and you think it would be great for the podcast, tweet me at Timothy Malcolm. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to talk about it and see if it's on, uh, see if it's on point and see if we can get it on the podcast. So please do that if you have some music. The Phillies Nation podcast can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, YouTube.com slash Phillies Nation. Go to philliesnation.com for all of your Phillies news, information, rumors, opinion, and facebook.com slash philliesnation, twitter at philliesnation, and instagram at philliesnation underscore. We're always having fun on Twitter. We're always having fun on Instagram and Facebook. Check us out. Follow us. All that good stuff. Please, please, please subscribe to this podcast. Give it a good review. We need reviews. Please subscribe and give reviews. If anybody in my like friend circle is listening to me, give a review. Even if it says Ian Riccoboni and Steve Carino on there, they were the old podcast. But please, review it because it is our podcast. Give us some stars. Do the good thing. We love you guys. Please, please, please. By the way, Nick Pavetta pitching extremely well. 19 innings this year. .95 ERA. 24 Ks and 2 walks. Pavetta Watch is on, guys. Pavetta Watch is on. I would say by like the ace start, I think we got to start campaigning if he's doing this well. Reese Hoskins also having a great year. 321, 429 OBP, 604 slug. He's got four homers, seven RBI, 32 total bases. He is the best hitter right now for Lehigh Valley. I think all-around hitter. Alfaro's hitting well, too, but Hoskins. Get it going, guy. Hopefully, uh... He can continue his torrid pace, and we'll see what happens. If Joseph continues to struggle, maybe there is a call-up sooner than later. But as we've said before, and we'll say it again, give Joseph time. Give the guys in the major some time. Unless they get hurt right now, that's what you got to do because we are in that mode still, even if the Phillies are 9-9. and And maybe this week they will get over 500. They're playing the Marlins, then a tough series in L.A. West Coast baseball, baby. Only one real West Coast game, a Friday night game. But... Fun stuff. We're going to be all over it this week. Chase Utley playing the Phillies. Can't wait. It's going to be fun. Let's get some wins this week. For the Phillies Nation podcast, I'm Tim Malcolm. See you next time. <laughs>